USA football right now has one of the best recruiting classes in the country for the 2023 cycle under Lincoln Riley's first year in Los Angeles. But uh, two of his top targets are being targeted by other schools. Is that something to worry about? Let's go. Our Locked On Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 Conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On Pack 12. I am your host, Spencer McLaughlin, D1 play-by-play broadcaster. Thank you for making this your first listen or your first view of the day, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Conference of Champions. Like, comment, subscribe. Wherever you're listening to or watching the show, five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts, those are appreciated and help out with the show as well. And I am helped out today by John Garcia, Jr., the Director of Recruiting for Sports Illustrated. We bring him on as often as we can get him. He can be a hard guy to, to get in touch with, but we're lucky to get him here on the show. John, it's good to have you back as always. Good to be on with you. Uh, yeah, uh, I guess I'm hard to to get a hold of, even though I talk to you like twice a week. But it's fine. Well, that that I'll just makes it. that just makes me very lucky that that I get to talk to you a, a couple times a week, and we're fortunate here at the Locked On Network to have you. And uh, USC feels fortunate to have Lincoln Riley, as they should, because he's a premier coach and a very good recruiter as well, and they have been. Uh, enjoying the fruits of that labor on the verbal commitment side in the class of 2023. But two of their top guys, uh, John, are, are kind of being targeted. And I think to some people that may may come as a surprise to others, they may understand how, how this works. But, you know, Brent Venables was recently kind of teeing off on that. And he comes from the Clemson culture, which is different than most in college football. But uh, can you talk about just kind of how how it works when a guy verbally commits to one school and then is you know taking offers and visits and talking to other schools and actively considering them like how, how did that how did that come to be well i'm not sure when it began but look i think the modern recruit looks at a verbal commitment differently than you or i or certainly differently than brent venables uh, i think it's a flagpole and seminal moment, but it's not the end of, of the recruiting process for some. Now, for, for a lot, it, it still is, right? You commit, you're done, really simple. But um, I think when you kind of uh, you know take a 30,000-foot view of the phrase verbal commitment, it's a promise. It's just something you tell somebody. It, it is not something that has any more uh, binding value than your word. Um, and you think of that from the program perspective and say, well, your word should be enough and that should be it. But you look at it from the prospect perspective and circumstances change, right? Your offers change, your position could change. The coaches at the school you picked can certainly change, which last year taught us at, you know, to the nth degree, it could change in a heartbeat. Uh, so verbal commitment is, is looked at as to me, the, the joke is always your verbal commitment is just your leader. You're not giving away much of anything. You're just saying today, this is the school that I want to go to. It could change, but today it's about this school. Um, so I think that's the safer way and conservative way to look at it from, from a fan base perspective because you don't get as tied to some of these recruits who will inevitably end up at another school, even at Clemson, even at the, the best schools in the country. This is something that happens because it, this is the era of player mobility and player freedom 
to make their own decisions and push their own agenda. The portal, NIL, all this stuff plays right into that feeling of mobility where you're like, well, if it doesn't work out here, I could just end up here. Um, and, and there are a lot of uh, beacon type of, of, you know, recruits and eventual college players who have been considered very successful despite having those, those changes of heart, you know, like a, a Justin Fields was committed to Penn state forever in his recruitment. Then he flips to Georgia signs with Georgia on signing day. And then he transfers to Ohio state where he becomes the guy Heisman contender, you know, goes to, to the national title game a couple of years ago. So it's not looked down upon like it used to be. And, and from the player perspective, there's, there's still value after you make that verbal commitment. A lot of schools will continue to recruit you. Um, and, and then the ball is kind of in your court. So if you reciprocate that interest and you want to take visits or do these other things, it's kind of viewed as fair game. But conversely, the program could say, okay, you shop, we shop. So your spot is no longer guaranteed at this program. And now we're going to go look at other players at your position. So it's it's a slippery slope and potentially dangerous if you are tied to one school. It's not something to be taken lightly. But, yeah, I think that sentiment that Clemson had built where you commit here, you don't take any more visits, I think that is something that will become more infrequent as we go forward in the timeline of college football recruiting because uh, the visits are happening earlier. So the commitments are happening earlier and then the changes of hearts are happening earlier. So it's really hard to imagine it going in the other direction where kids say, Hey, I'm committed and that's it. No more visits. Uh, it's just not realistic relative to players having an awareness of their own value. So USC and Oregon both are, are having some of their top recruits, uh, examined, I guess you could say, or uh, they're receiving heavy heavy interest from other schools, and this is not you know Middle Tennessee Tech that's throwing in a long shot offer. These are these are big time players, and we've talked about Zach Branch, and last time we talked about the the five star USC 2023 commit. You said he was uh, you know just kind of considering weighing his options, but you know was still kind of in on, on the Trojans. Um, and I want to get to him, but the name that's new in that sense is Malachi Nelson, USC's uh, top three, I believe, quarterback in the class of 2023, top 10 player. He's their highest rated recruit, and he is an absolute stud with a unique physical skill set at 6'5", 6'6", big arm, mobile as well. Where's he at right now? I mean, still committed to, to USC at this point in time. But is there a legitimate threat here, or is this him kind of like Branch was, just weighing his options? I think it's a little bit of both to me, where he is certainly curious about other programs. Uh, so he visits Texas A&M, the same school Branch visited. Over the weekend, they have their, uh, I think it was a pool party. You know, everyone has their kind of non-football football event this time of year. Um, and, and, yeah, he's kind of the headliner and the surprising visitor of that Texas A&M group. The Aggies don't have a quarterback committed in this class to date, so naturally they're going for arguably the best in the country in Nelson. But before that point, we did hear a little bit of chatter that Nelson was considering some due diligence to look around a little bit because if you think about it, he followed Lincoln Riley from Oklahoma to USC. He's committed to both programs, so he's already decommitted once. Um, but really, he's only been able to reciprocate that recruiting pitch from Riley. He's followed him fairly loyally, um, and, and he committed pretty early on 
to Oklahoma before, of course, following him to USC after the, the move was made to, to Malachi Nelson's backyard. He's a SoCal kid in his own right. So in that regard, it's like, well, what about these other schemes? And what about these other coaches that value me and that have been there and done that? And Jimbo Fisher's got two things that a lot of coaches don't. Multiple number one uh, draft picks and a national title to his name. And he's known as, as kind of a quarterback guy, uh, even though it hasn't quite worked out that way at Texas A&M, that's still attached to his resume. And that still does resonate with a lot of uh, quarterbacks uh, in the recruiting game. So I do think that's part of it. The allure of Texas A&M where you're coming off of a number one class NIL has been a frequent conversation around the program. And again, we talk about value, something interesting to, to maybe go check in on if at all possible in the legalities and gray areas of the process. So you understand it from that regard as well. And here's the third thing. Malachi Nelson committed to USC before Caleb Williams did. So at least for a brief moment, although the expectation was that Caleb was going to end up there, first of all, that was definitely yep. not always going to be the case. It became the case, but it wasn't always the, the case. So for those months, Malachi Nelson was looking at a quarterback room ahead of him that included one scholarship player in Miller Moss. Before Caleb Williams, of course, comes in, former number one recruit, breakout star, all that stuff that we, you know, was thrown in our face. And now he's a Heisman front runner or one of them and et cetera. So I thought of all that and looked back at, at some statistics. And in terms of number one quarterbacks, which Malachi might be at the end of the day, no number one quarterback has either sat or not transferred after the first year he's been on campus. Caleb Williams is a true sophomore this year. So he's got at least two more years as, as the guy. Uh, so the expectation is that he's three and done to the league. Malachi sits one year and then it's his show. But who's to say it goes that way? So I think the path to playing at USC isn't as clear as, as it was the day Malachi committed to the Trojans. And I think there's there's something potentially to be said in that regard. And ironically, these visits come after the two spent time together in L.A. at the Elite 11 Finals, where Caleb was was kind of an unofficial counselor on day one. Um, and then the Big Ten stuff happened. So Malachi's mindset relative to USC changed by the week uh, over the last few weeks. Uh, so I do think all of those circumstances could lead to, hey, let me be diligent and check some things out with, with some other programs. And again, I was told that's not the only program that was trying to get him in on a visit. So I do think it's something to watch going forward. We will uh, continue to follow that. It would be a major, major domino. Uh, again, at this point in time, still committed to USC. Things are still, I, I think you feel fine right now if if you're a Trojan fan, but it is worthy to follow. There are other big time commits in the Pac-12 that are worthy to follow in the coming months because other schools might try and snatch them away. I'll tell you about them after I tell you about Bet Online. The fastest and easiest way to check in on all your betting needs. Find all your favorite sports and events at the number one online source for odds, lines, and games. Find reviews and news of every league, including Major League Baseball, Go Mariners, NFL, NBA, NHL, Combat Sports, Esports, and even Golf. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all your sports wagering information from live in-game betting, scores, and podcasts. They have you covered. Head to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to learn more about the action happening. BetOnline, where the game starts. 
Malachi Nelson's not the only Pac-12 player, not even the only USC player who other schools are, are looking at heavily. couple wide receivers of the five-star variety in the class of 2023. Oregon's Jurion Dickey, a verbal commitment, and USC's Zach Branch, a, a verbal commitment as well. Where where are those two at right now? Are they in the same camp as Malachi, or are they more just kind of you know doing a looky-loo at, uh, at certain schools? Yeah, I think it's probably more of of the latter at this point. And and look, Texas A&M's trying to be involved with both of them there as well. They already got Branch on campus, and they just sent out an offer in the last few days to Jerion Dickey. So yeah, A&M's trying to salvage this slow start in the 2023 recruiting cycle with some some big swings, as they say, uh, on the trail. But Branch having visited, and it was an official visit, if memory serves. I think that was a big deal of these three visits. So Dickey to Miami, Nelson to AM unofficially. Branch was the official visit. So I think in that regard, everybody's seen the pictures with him and Jimbo Fisher and all that stuff at this point. I think in that regard, it's more interesting to track relative to could he actually back off of this longstanding commitment? Although, again, optically, you can make such a strong case for him to stick at USC. Lincoln Riley, the influx of talent that's headed that way. His brother is a safety on that roster. A lot of stuff saying, hey, why would he leave USC at this point? He's a Vegas kid, so certainly uh, in that region uh, where his familiarity lies uh, you know, most uh, easily to see. Um, but then with Dickey, visits Miami for the second time, both unofficially, um, but not – he, according to him, I should say – not traditional visits. Um, he said that he was going uh, to fish with family uh, and they were vacationing. They happened to be vacationing in South Florida, uh, which, you know, it, understandable optically and on the surface level. People do that every day, it seems like, uh, in a calendar year. And, and we're in the summer months. So that makes a lot of sense. But of course, Oregon fans are like, no, this is a real visit to Miami. And Miami is legitimately recruiting him. So it, there's some credence to that. He's close to Jaden Rashada, the Miami quarterback commitment from uh, Northern California, just like Dickey is. You know, they played seven on seven together for the Miami Immortals back in June, uh, where there's a bunch of other Miami commitments on that roster as well. So there's certainly a push for Miami to be that primary contender for Dickey, but uh, AM is offered. Georgia just offered him at the tail end of July. So there is a sense that other schools are at least going to try to match the ascent that, that he has shown over the last year and most particularly the last few months uh, as, as an emerging wide receiver recruit. Schools are interested and more interested in Dickey maybe than ever. So, again, who's to blame him for looking internally and saying, well, I'm getting more offers. I, I wasn't talking to George. I wasn't talking to AM or some of these schools. Let me go check them out. Uh, so I, I think that's something to potentially track down the line. I don't have it in front of me, but I don't believe Dickey took many uh, of his allotted official visits. So I think that could uh, potentially you know, keep a door pretty wide open for some of these other schools to maybe get a trip out of him for a game later this season. But I think for all three of these guys, that's what you're watching. Do you get out for games? Are you trying to experience more than just the sit down with the coach and the X's and O's and hanging out in the city or maybe fishing in, in Dickey's case? Are you actually trying to take in the atmosphere, tailgating the fans and all that stuff? Typically, that shows a little bit more interest. And then the worry meter should probably rise uh, for the schools that are currently holding these commitments. But if I had to go out on a limb, I would say all three of them probably stick to their schools if I had to guess. But certainly something to keep an eye on for sure.
And we will continue to follow it here on the show. Uh, let's shift our focus in recruiting to guys who are, are not garnering quite that level of attention, but could still be players in the Pac-12 in the coming years in the 2023 cycle. And I want to start with Washington. And look, it's the lowest rate of the three guys that uh, we're, we're going to talk about, at least for right now. That's all, you know, some it can be subject to change in the coming months, depending on how guys play uh, their senior years. But let's talk about Lincoln Keenholz, who, who is a three-star uh, quarterback, uh, the first signal caller that's committed to Kalen DeBoer up there in Seattle since he's taken over as the head coach. They have one of the most fascinating quarterback rooms going into 2022 in that they've got one guy with the most starting experience at the school, one guy who is the highest-rated quarterback recruit, uh, I, I think ever aside from may, maybe one uh, one other guy in, in the school's history, and then another guy who's played the most and won the most at the Power Five level. And so it's kind of like, well, which direction do you go here? And, and we'll see what Kalen DeBoer does. Uh, but but give us a full rundown here, John Lincoln Keenholz. What what sort of player is he uh, at the quarterback position? For those of you listening and want to look him up, maybe that's K I E N H O L Z. Because I know if I were listening, I would have no idea how to spell it. <laughs> And he's from South Dakota, just to make it more uh, outside the box in the conversation. And look, and I think that's the first thing that, unfortunately for him, comes up when his name does. Well, he's playing in South Dakota. So naturally, as an evaluator, you say, okay, well, are you crushing it against lesser competition? And the answer for Lincoln is the most emphatic yes that I could project into this microphone. 3,300 passing yards. To almost 1,200 rushing yards, 49 touchdowns as a junior. And he started the year prior as well, elevated all those numbers, including the completion percentage from sophomore year to junior year. All the marks you want to see in a modern quarterback on top of that, 6'3", 190 pounds or so, obviously a dual threat mobile quarterback that fits kind of the modern game. Um, and he became, after the the top, top names that we talk about, Malachi Nelson, Dante Moore, uh, Arch Manning, etc. Uh, Jane Rashada, we talked about Nico Yamaliava. After the, that grouping of quarterbacks, there was this desire from schools to see what this next wave of of kid looks like in this class of twenty three. So in the off season, Keenholz, especially with those numbers and that production, kind of became one of those next guys that people latched onto. And at one point, it, it was Wisconsin, Washington, and North Dakota State, which. Nobody would blame you for going there at the quarterback position, right? They've got more NFL quarterbacks than, I don't know, half the power five, maybe more than that at this point. Um, and at, even at that point, the final three, I was expecting Wisconsin. I think Wisconsin was expecting Wisconsin because they still haven't recovered from this Washington uh, commitment. Um, so I, I do think that there's there's been so much intrigue around him that we didn't even have a great feel for where he was leaning at the quarterback uh, you know, position relative to his college. So he's just this out-of-nowhere, intriguing, dynamic, dual-threat quarterback that just beats up on South Dakota competition. But he's got a good arm. Uh, he's incredibly quick to process. He can push it down the field, and he's got this mobility on top of it that makes him kind of scheme versatile. You could you could run RPO and the read option and all that fun stuff with him, but you could also play air raid ball and let him sit in the pocket and just kind of cut you up as, as a passer. But the threat of his legs will always present something to defenses. So I think he's as intriguing a, a late riser as there has been in, in the recruiting game in the last couple of years. And again, on top of that, his destination surprised a lot of people. So credit to 
Kalen DeBoer and, and that Washington staff, which has added like 15 recruits since June began. Yeah. They 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 were the hottest Pac-12 program in the summer, uh, and that's not something I thought I was going to write even a few weeks ago. But but that's what the official visit season does during the summer months, and there's a lot of offensive expectation uh, up in you uh, UW, and I was going to say Eugene. That would have been a sacrilege. Uh, up at UW, not Eugene, of course, in Seattle. Uh, there's a lot of expectation up there, and I think Lincoln is, is going to fit into that once he gets to campus for good. Because, like you said, ahead of him, a whole lot of attrition is going to happen, right? No matter who wins that job, you just expect there to be some potential openings uh, to move up the depth chart. So I like the fit. I, I really like the get, and I think he's underrated at this stage. Let's uh, jump back to USC for a moment before we hop to uh, Stanford's most recent uh, verbal commitment, which uh, could be a major one, one of their best in the 2023 recruiting cycle. But USC getting a body here, a versatile one on the defensive side of the ball in Tackett Curtis, four-star guy, listed as a hybrid safety linebacker, so kind of that in-between, you know, star, DB, joker. I mean, whatever you want to call it, he's one of those guys who – look, might not have a consistent position. He might float around every now and then, but is this somebody who you think USC is just going to keep finding ways to put on the football field? 100%. This is something that um, a lot of schools wanted at their disposal. I think his final three was was uh, Ohio State, Wisconsin, and USC. LSU tried to make a late run to keep him in Louisiana. He's a Louisiana kid, and it didn't work. Uh, so, so this is a different type of Louisianan, but, man, the production that he brings as a tackler, as a dynamic sideline to sideline guy is off the charts, triple digits on, on the tackles, I believe as a junior. Uh, but this is what, what really makes him different is the physicality. And I think you're talking USC. We know the skill players are there in abundance. The finesse is there. You need some front seven guys and some trench players that are going to bring a little oomph you know, to the table, especially once you get into the big 10 and that's exactly what Tackett Curtis is. This is a guy who absolutely wins at the point of contact, but he's got great speed instincts and tackling ability to be like a three-down player and really help you in coverage underneath zones. Uh, I, I just think he's a playmaker that, like you said, Spencer, you got to find a way to get him on the field. Maybe you just call him a, a will linebacker or you you specialize something for him, but he could rush the passer. Uh, he could run with the tight end or, or maybe a, a bigger wide receiver underneath, certainly a running back. I think he's got a lot of true modern traits. And this is one of the biggest summer wins for any program in the country to get him to go from Louisiana to USC over Ohio state over Wisconsin, which had the number one defense in America last year and over the, the home state LSU tigers was a really big feat. Uh, and that's maybe a good sign of USC being more balanced on the recruiting trail, because again, we just know the offensive skill is going to be there in abundance. Yeah, and he seems like a guy who's able to make an impact at all three levels, right? He'll make plays up around the line of scrimmage at the second level and then be able to play on the back end as well. And I agree with what you're saying, that you don't have any doubts about USC's offensive recruiting. It's can they get these sorts of guys? And I think this is a significant get for them, especially given the competition that they're going up against there on the recruiting trail. Finally, we're pivoting up to Palo Alto and the Stanford Cardinal, who have had about uh, 67 quality tight ends over the last five years. And 
over 120 in the last 10 or something like that. You know, I'm approximating, but I don't think I'm that far off, frankly. Uh, do they have the next one here in four-star recruit Walker Lines, the second tight end that they've gotten to commit in the class of 2023? So always a position David Shaw is on the prowl for, uh, but he he clearly has you know found a guy here that might be starting pretty early in in his career. There's not a lot of recruiting classes that are good that we talk about the tight end as the crown yeah. jewel maybe of the class. And I think that's what uh, Stanford's got in Walker Lions. This is, you know, a Northern California kid, Folsom High School, one of the best high schools uh, in Northern California in terms of prospect production and just winning on, on Friday nights. I mean, this is really just an oversized wide receiver, but he has classic tight end elements in his game. Like he's a, a ferocious blocker in terms of just latching on to you and, and driving you. He can be the end man on the line of scrimmage and block down on a bigger defensive lineman uh, to, to help create a push. But really where he makes his mark, Spencer, is as a pass catcher. I mean, this is a dynamic, kind of a chunk play tight end. We just don't see a lot of these rolling around in the high school you know, football level. And Lions has the size behind it, 6'4", 6'5", 225 pounds or so. He, he runs with just an ease. And he even gets to top speed quickly. Again, things I don't talk about with tight ends from an evaluation standpoint. So he's one where you can run like a bubble screen with him as the recipient, as opposed to just blocking for some other guys. So once you present mismatches like that and you have abilities to make plays in space, you can become the headliner and the focal point of an entire offense at one point. You know, think think of a George Kittle type where it's like, man, he does everything so well that we're just going to let him. I think Walker Lyons has some of that. I don't want to put too much on the kid. I think he's got some of that in his game where he's balanced, but, man, he's so dynamic as a pass catcher that you almost don't want to waste him at the line of scrimmage, and I don't think David Shaw will. He's He's been through this once or twice. And they've got Sam Roush in the class of 2022 who made a, a couple of really nice plays in their spring game. And then they've got Jaden Platt in the class of 2023. These are all four-star tight ends. You just don't see a lot of schools – going after multiple five-star tight ends or four-star tight ends rather in, in consecutive years, but that's what the Cardinal is doing. And, and I don't think you can have too many bodies at that position if you're Stanford, because I think of the Cardinal at their peak here when they were, you know, one of the top two or three premier programs in, in the conference, they had multiple tight ends on the field all the time and they used them all the time. I mean, it's a position much like wide receiver where you don't want to have just one. You want to have a couple. And I think that they're, you know, building at that position. And as long as Tanner McKee, we'll see if he stays after this year. I suspect he'd probably uh, take a look at, at the NFL. Um, but maybe this is enticing for him to to want to come back, to know that he that he's going to have the, these weapons. Uh, but John Garcia is a reason for all of you to come back and like and subscribe to the show because we get him on every week that we can. Uh, unfortunately, this will be the last week you hear from him for a little while because I will be out of town. But John, uh, good to talk to you as always, and I'll see you in a few weeks, and we will be that much closer to the season by the time uh, we get back together here on the show. Sounds good, my friend. Safe travels, and uh, yeah, we'll be waiting for you. I appreciate everyone listening. See you next time, and have a wonderful rest of your day.